still working. Should I sing? Just sing. Just sing, Justin. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to Ink Studs, CITR, 101.5 FM. It's been a while since I've been in the studio, and now they have this new setup with the um, iPods set up, and that was a fail. <laughs> fail blog. That's Ink right. Studs fail. That's all right. Um, okay. I can say, well, actually, I really can't sing, but... I'm, I'm looking for a song right now. Um, there, uh, do you know the Henry and Glenn Forever? Um, oh, oh yes, yeah, yes, so definitely. I'm, I'm doing a, uh, one in the next issue, and um, <clears throat> it's going to be uh, uh, Danzig goes down to Hades, to Gades, actually, to to get to get the soul of Rollins, who's di- who's died. <laughs> Just so folks know, uh, Henry and Glenn Forever is a comic about Henry Rollins and Glenn Danzig as. Uh, same-sex life partners, yeah, and their neighbors <laughs> long-time are companions. longtime companions. Not necessarily life partners, but they're very close, and their neighbors are satanic Holland Oats. Yeah, so Rollins dies, and uh, and uh, Holland Oats actually open up a, a portal to Gates so that he can go down and, and, and uh, get back uh, Rollins, and he's going to encounter uh, the, the head of uh, Gates who will um, uh, who will force him to sing a show tunes uh, so he can actually bring his lover back and this is like and he's like I'm not that kind of gay I'm not that kind of gay so but it's I, I gotta I, I have, I, I'm not really either so I actually need to research the proper show tune that Danzig would sing to bring Rollins back from the dead so if you know, that seems fair yeah I'm, I'm, I'll, I'm just I'll kind of putting you. that out into the, into the I'll work on that in email okay thank you uh, maybe I should do a proper introduction uh, this is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM um, as I said it's been a while since I've been in the studio unfortunately my life does not allow for me to be here every week I wish I could but this week's kind of special um, Justin Hall is in town for Pride um, and Justin also happened to just put out a fantastic anthology called No Straight Lines from my fine friends and your friends, Fanographics Books, mm. um, which should be hitting stores now-ish. Right now. <laughs> Literally, like, either this speak. week or next week. Um, and they're making their way out there. Mm. Uh, you also just did a whole bunch of launches, including some fantastic stuff at San Diego Comic-Con, which we will get into. Yeah. But I also want to make sure we acknowledge our other guests who I asked to join us today. Um, not to up up the queer co- content, but because uh, specifically um, Ken Bosom. Uh, Ken's been on before uh, when we've talked about uh, we had uh, another guest on who's doing historical work. Uh, this time it was a book about Canadian comics and Ken has a special interest in Canadian comics. But Ken, you also have a special interest not just in Canadian comics, but... Well, I'm also a, a queer cartoonist myself, so I have interest in queer cartooning, obviously, for completely self-invested interests. <laughs> um, but I, I'm also into comic history generally, so I kind of, I know a bit about sort of more Vancouver, local BC queer comic history. Uh, so I guess I'm sort of Robin to your Batman today, as it were. Just and you were mentioning that you do like to dress up as Green Lantern, Justin. So I, I, this, no, is, there you go. this is—I don't know—we we have some conflicts here. <laughs> yeah, I should have said Tomar Ray. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had to go there. All right, all right. <laughs> oh, this is really bringing the comics up. <laughs> <I know. here. laughs> Just, just showing that all of us who are inter- interested in independent comic books can also still I appreciate it. Exactly, can still you know, <laughs> talk, the, talk the talk. Actually, actually, I just came across uh, during research for something else. I came across this like humor kids comic from the I think it was the late fifties or the late sixties called Little Tomboy. Oh. That I'm just like, 
this is actually profoundly pro-lesbian for a comic wow. from that era. And she, the hilarious thing is she looks exactly like Marcy Peppermint Patty's friend. Yeah. Well, and there's no secret about Marcy and Peppermint Patty. I think that's no, pretty there's open. Yeah. No, actually, if you read his bio, uh, Patty was based on Charles Schultz's cousin. Oh. Who was a tomboy. Ah. And who, if you read between the lines of the bio, mm-hmm. was a lesbian. But mm-hmm. he never, he was just trying to honor his cousin by creating the character. He never uh. meant for that to turn into this other thing. Wow. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, one of the uh, Comic Con, I think it was last year, or year before. Um, uh, Paige, I had Paige Braddock on, on on one of my panels, and Paige is the our, uh, creative director for the Charles Schultz Foundation. Right. And um, uh, at the end of the the panel, I said, "Well, you know, I just wanted to also quick question about your day job, and uh, as you know, the Charles Schultz um, uh, right. creative director, and uh, you know, what's up really with Peppermint Patty and Marcy? Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and everybody laughs and everything, and we and, and we we la- uh, left the stage, and there was Janine." Schultz, actually, yeah. and I was like, oh, whoa, I'm sorry. <laughs> but she was, she was a lovely lady and totally yeah. fine with, with, um, yeah. yeah. I've heard some amazing stuff about you, like, she likes to go bungee jumping. Oh, wow. I've heard that, like, maybe not I anymore, but I've, I've heard, yeah, she's quite, the, she was wearing a very bright print kind of thing that was I, I kind of gutsy you know she's I think she's got some uh, some sponsor some now I mentioned the book No Straight Lines um, can, I, can I say the, the rest of the title pl- I was going to say okay, why okay. don't you give us the <laughs> spiel as I'm sure you have one uh, yeah, my, my talking point. Um, so th- the whole title is No Straight Lines, Four Decades of Queer Comics. And it's um, essentially my attempt at doing a comprehensive anthology of LGBTQ uh, comics, um, uh, independent underground stuff. Uh, a, a couple of caveats. It's um, not not erotic comics. These are literary queer comics. Uh, I feel like the erotica, um, there's, you know, an amazing amount of really wonderful queer erotic comics, and I've made some myself. I really I like that stuff. But um, it's been better archived already by the Tom of Finland Foundation, Center of Sex and Culture, people like that. Yeah. Um, it was the literary queer comics that I was most afraid of kind of losing. Um, and then it's also specifically Western comics. I, I figured that manga and uh, other Asian com- queer comics um, kind of deserve their own book. They have their own kind of internal consistencies and rules and stuff. So um, that's that's a separate book. But so. you have European yes. stuff in there. So it's yes. Western, American, mm-hmm. yeah. and European. Yeah. North American, Western. Yeah. Do you find Even an Israeli cartoonist isn't here, too. That's yeah. right. Um, do you find there was, as far as those communities, there was some cultural exchange between uh, there? I mean, beyond the, the obvious of Tom of Finland... Uh, be, uh, between the, the the erotic stuff and the and or the even even mm-hmm. the literary stuff, so um, definitely there's a lot, there's definitely some crossover. Like first, and one of the first people in the book is um, this guy Sean, uh, and he was one of the early cartoonists and, and uh, doing gag strips for the kind of gay newspapers and gay magazines of the uh, of, like the Advocate and stuff in the in the seventies. And um, but he also spelled his name differently. He would spell it S H A W N when he was doing uh, erotic work. Right. So he would do erotic stuff for like Meat Men and some um, uh, drummer magazine and stuff like that. So he actually had kind of two different lives, but he was doing both that kind of work. Um, and there's some other crossovers. I mean, I have later on in the book, I've got John Macy, who was um, um, kind of came into the scene with Neferismo, which was his um, book for, for Eros, um, and recently did an adaptation of Oscar Wilde's uh, Talony and Camille, which is this kind of dark erotic um, underground novel that was created probably by, by Oscar Wilde and his friends secretly. Um, 
and it actually won the Lambda Literary Award for uh, for best um, gay erotica. I should um, be reading from Tulane at uh, Queer Erotica Pride a couple years oh, ago. Oh, awesome! Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and that's a really important book, and it has, and that yeah. kind of walks that line between literary and erotic. I mean, I, the, the way I, I guess I would define erotica or porn is that if the primary artistic um, purpose of of the piece is to sexually titillate or arouse, and that's what I would call erotic or porn. It can have other artistic intentions as well. So it's like a boner meter? Yeah, well, <laughs> um, because you can be really turned... I mean, just because uh, there's something that's erotic, it doesn't mean it's going to turn you on. But if, if that's the intention of of the of the creator, if that's mm-hmm. the primary artistic you know, intention. Whereas, you know, the, you know, the, the page 104 or something like that in this book it has a huge boner on it it's like it's just just a gigantic you know image of a penis you know uh, has a condom on it but it's um well it's it's very I mean, and that's not erotic though it's, no it's, it's not, not a sexual yeah. mm-hmm. penis it's yeah. it's very much <laughs> it's an impressive penis. Ring, uh, yeah, it's like one of those <laughs> yeah. 1950s yeah. uh like, it's a purely literary penis <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so. uh um but but there is I mean there's some overlap between the, those two worlds and but but I do feel like the the literary stuff um, was uh, you know really in more in danger of, of being lost I mean there's been some you know obviously some major crossover people like Alison Bechdel and Howard Cruz and but you know a huge you know the vast majority of this material was in in, in danger of yeah of, of vanishing with the queer media ghetto that supported it one thing I was thinking about actually just a couple minutes ago before we did the interview was looking through the work and. Um, and this is not to be switched to the book, this is a kind of an overall question, is how queer comics kind of worked as a way of um, portraying your own identity, especially visually. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there is mm-hmm. any kind of factor in there. It's like, kind of like, this is how we see ourselves. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, um, uh, I, there, uh, Alison Bechdel, in, in the introduction to her Houghton Mifflin collection of Dykes to Watch Out For, says specifically, you know, she's kind of describing how she started making her mm-hmm. strip. And she said, I wanted to make lesbians visible. And I think the fact that, that, that comics are a visual medium has this you know, tremendous kind of visceral impact, you know, where, where right. people, you know, especially young queers who are looking for identity, looking for role models, mm-hmm. looking for possibilities um, in the world around them, um, representation, they can literally see it. And that, it has a kind of a power to it that, that's not necessarily in prose. Um, uh, on the other hand, I would say that the, the reason that um, but it, the comics are also distinctly narrative form, and that also is important because it's not just the the, the image, but also the story. Well, I think it's also uh, Ron and I sort of talked about it briefly before the show. I mentioned that uh, I had bought a copy of a recent Kevin Keller, where um, Kevin is sort of dancing on the beach with Veronica, and they're completely surrounded by like Betty and other straight. Well, one of the straight couples is multiracial, so I have to give them some credit. <laughs> um, but then I, I bought it specifically so I could sit it next to the issue of gay comics I have that has a Jerry Mills cover where the Poppers characters are all hanging out on the beach and they're playing like crazy seventies disco on the on the boombox and and they're just being completely flamboyant and one of them's like you know do you think anybody's going to know that we're gay <laughs> and I'm like well nobody's going to know Kevin's for gay on that cover for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well there's I mean I think the, the difference is that th- this kind of material the, um, the, this independent queer underground mm-hmm. comics is really uh, was an internal conversation really because, well that's you know, that's what I mean. Like yeah, I, I, yeah. And, and that's what I mean. Like it's also, 
it's important not just because it's it's us talking about ourselves, but it's important because it's us talking about ourselves and not mm-hmm. somebody else representing us. If you yes. know what I mean, like it's right. not. And yeah. in, in the past, I mean, if if a, if a comic had a queer character at all, I think it meant that it was a queer comic because the mainstream yeah. wouldn't touch this material no. um, or these characters or subject matter. But now that's different, obviously, with with you know gay Archie characters and lesbian Batwoman and, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so you, but but it's not the, it's still the job of the mainstream to kind of assimilate and include um, queer characters. It's not their job to kind of analyze and dissect and put fun at and mm-hmm. um, think more in, in a more complex way about queer identities and realities. Well, and, even looking back at, like, I've been going through a lot of older Golden Age material lately, and, like, there are... It's not that there's no queer content. It's that mm-hmm. when it's there, it's like looking at an old movie. Mm-hmm. It's a flamboyantly gay waiter, or it's, right. like, a tomboy character, or it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, And so it's yeah. their... Very surreptitiously. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. who knows whether the creators themselves that created that stuff no, were, totally. were queer. I mean, it's one of the things you know. You look back at the <clears throat> the early um, these early queer independent comics, and you know, part of it was just trying to figure out who was actually queer in the comics industry mm-hmm. because that was impossible to gauge when everyone was was closeted. Yeah. But but you know, there, you know, before that time period, before Stonewall and everything, I mean. Um, you know, certainly a lot of movies and probably a lot of comics had these kind of, you know, hidden little yeah. references and stuff. Um, maybe created by queer people or, may, or maybe just derogatory, you know. Uh, well, they're, to some degree, they're kind of like the the gay or lesbian version of a step and fetch a character for the black community. Yes. Like it's, right. you know. Yeah. 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 <sighs> what a great highlight to leave on. <laughs> 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 I um, was looking through some photos on the old Facebook, um, <laughs> referencing modern technology for those youth, um, of the queer panel at San Diego. Mm. And I found that really exciting to see, like, just the kind of the range of folks mm-hmm. that are involved in that. Is that something, as you're doing this book, or maybe it's just something from your own community involvement, just getting to know more of, like, who is out there and creating these community connections. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's been a, a pretty remarkable um, shift in the last ten years, I would say. Um, I mean, you know, uh, Andy Mangles had a gays and comics panel at Comic Con for twenty five years. Actually, just celebrated its twenty fifth year. Um, but <clears throat> the last ten years, I think we've really seen the, this kind of. Um, Real inclusion and growth of kind of queer themes and characters and 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 kind of out creators and um and and also uh, you know straight and cisgender creators now you know uh, you know using you know using characters that um, who are marginalized normally so so it's it's been a huge shift in the last ten years um, and and we've been able to do all the different kinds of panels so it's you know and and be more specific about the panels like it's not it's no longer enough to simply have a gays and comics panel and now you have to be more specific about what you're talking about so you mm-hmm. you know we've had like you know um, um, you know, a, pa- a panel on you know uh, whether you can have you know villains in you know queer villains in in, in comics, for example, or um, uh, panels on you know queer women, specific queer women issues. Or something. You can get more specific now, which is nice, you know, because it's broadened out enough. Um, it's interesting to look at. I totally just derailed myself. Um, <laughs> Where's that music? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just a reminder, folks, you can call in 604-822-2487 if you want to ask a question. <laughs> no, uh, one of the things I was looking at is um, how work has kind of changed topically and um, especially looking in your book as because it's it's a survey over time. Mm. And I'm wondering um, the work you chose in there to kind of represent points of time. Is this a uh, reflection of the material you're coming out with that you're coming across or is 
um, there's something specific he wanted to kind of get across mm. to, to represent that point. Well, I, I, guess, I guess there were kind of... Um I mean, when I when I look at the whole collection, of course, there's a kind of there ends up being kind of you know whether I want it to happen or not, a kind of editorial you know d- direction or kind of flavor to it, you know. Um, but but I, I I kind of approached it with three different categories, which would be um, the first one is artistic merit. I mean, that has to be good good material. Uh, then would be historical merit, and then representational merit. So I did want to you know I want to have these good stories out there that anyone could kind of enjoy and and be and you know. Um, captivated by, and then if they want to see more of it, they can they can do some research. But but then I also wanted it to kind of be a historical overview to to a certain extent of the of the, the kinds of material that was being produced, and and then of course you know by whom by the kind of the representational merit. So um, so yeah, I, w- I was looking at all those those kinds of things as I was putting the the collection together um, and trying to figure out um, and you know and we we even I, I, I um, broke it up into three sections um, to kind of give it a storyline essentially so the first section is let me see if I, um, um, the first section is comics come out gay gag strips underground comics uh, with an X and lesbian, uh, lesbian literati and the second one is file under queer uh, comics to comics punk zines and art during the plague uh, and the third one is um, a new millennium trans creators web comics and stepping out of the ghetto. So each each one of those kind of has a thematic arc to it. Uh, the first one is obviously about the kind of initial you know fight for visibility and representation and the you know the very early comics um, that were coming out of both uh, the gay uh, newspapers and magazines um, from the queer ghetto and also from the lesbian and feminist underground comics um, from the seventies. Um, people like Trina Robbins and then Mary Wings and Roberta Gregory. Um, and then, you know, kind of culminating in the gay comics anthology. Um, and then the, the second section is, is you know, going into uh, the zine culture. You know, a lot of stuff came out of the punk zines, um, so, you know, uh, work like Kata Paisan, Homicidal Lesbian Terrorist. And, uh, and then also the, um, the kind of next wave of, of comic strips, um, such as Alison Bechdel's Dykes to Watch, Dykes to Watch Out For um, and Wendell by Howard Cruz. And then also response to AIDS. I mean, that was a huge kind of cultural thing that was happening at the same time. And then the third one is about kind of this emergence of trans creators, openly trans creators, which is, a, a, I think, a big and important development. Um, and then web comics, where everything kind of shifts. Um, um, uh, publication technologies, and then also the possibility now for queer narratives and queer comics to kind of step into a mainstream of, of publishing and not just exist in a ghetto. Hothead Paisano is actually one of the comics that was seized by Canada Customs. Really? Yeah. Really? For, for, for Little Sisters? Yeah. Wow. It's pretty radical. Yeah, I mean, no, it is. Yeah, no, it, is. <laughs> I mean, it, it tells but, you to yeah. take an axe to the patriarchy. I mean, yeah, you know? no, it's true. It's true. But yeah. But, yeah it's... I'm wondering if we want to comment at all on the challenges, um, especially in Canada, Vancouver, of kind of getting a hold of these queer works, of, of gay and lesbian mm-hmm. comics here at somewhere like Little Sisters. Uh, well, in terms of sort of Vancouver queer comic history, um, Rand Holmes, we talked about a little bit before the show, um, who did cover for the first issue of Gay Comics, also did Harold Head for the Tortoise Strait. So he's kind of like the big local historical mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, queer connection. Um, but we didn't, except for imported magazines, there wasn't really a whole lot of local cartooning or comic stuff going on until I would say like the 70s, 80s ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the mid early 80s, there's a lot of community newspapers and magazines and stuff. Um, so you get people like Sheila Smart and, um, well, it's Tika, somebody else who was doing sort of a trans character called The Collected Adventures of Super Ho. 
Um, Sheila Smart actually did a really fun strip about a lesbian named Susan that was just kind of like a slice of life strip, but it was really cleverly done. Uh, and uh, Sean Martin, they used to do Dock and Raider, used to live in Vancouver, so he used to do that. So there was like local stuff that definitely commented on local issues. So say like when the gay games were here in 1990, like there was at least three different comic strips going on at the time that all commented on mm. stuff going on or that kind of thing. The gay games? I think you need to inform me of this. <laughs> Well, <laughs> they were supposed to be called the Gay Olympics, but they, the, the Olympics, the Olympics actually, won. yeah, they actually sued them and yeah. changed, they had to change it to gay games. Yeah. Not Gay Olympics? No. <laughs> and Laugh Olympics was taken, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they allow Olympics to be used in pretty much, for, pretty much every other group, but not yeah, for gay. but not for gay. No. Um, we weren't special enough. No. <laughs> no, we're more special. We're more special. They, because they exactly. didn't allow it. We were that special. Um, but, so yeah, so the, was it Gay Games 3, I think? I think it was Gay Games 3 was in Vancouver, um, which was actually a big, historically, a sort of a big growing up moment for the gay community here, too, because it was the first time that sort of the world of gay came to Vancouver for something. And it was the first time a lot of gay people in Vancouver suddenly were bombarded by thousands, literally tens of thousands of other people like themselves. And we kind of took over the city for the week or two that it was going on, um, which was really empowering for a lot of people in Vancouver, I think. Um, but yeah, so it really mostly just sort of bubbled up from smaller local things. So like, I, I mean, I did a college strip in the early 90s where two guys kissed and I got a death threat. So <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, in Kelowna, yeah. in the Okanagan. Uh, it said something about my first sinners displays of homosexuality and hmm. something about me praying to the Almighty and yeah. <laughs> Didn't work. I Didn't work. No, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still drawing comics where guys make out and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it is interesting about how, like, a lot of queer comics are, they they, they oftentimes have a local flavor because they tend to be yeah. so much for, for a community, mm-hmm. you know, made by a, a member of a community for a community and um, and not necessarily for kind of wider distribution and, right. and, and a wider audience. Although, although I actually, I don't know, I, I sort of fall in a different place on the mm. locality of, of setting because I'm like, you know, I mean, how many of us have ever, not all of us have been to New York, but we can all sit and watch a show that's set in New York and not bat an eye about it. But then if you set it in some other place, place that everybody hasn't watched a sitcom based in, then we're supposed to think that there's no way anybody could ever wrap their heads around that. Yeah. I'm like, people in Taiwan watch Coronation Street and get the jokes. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. from the north of England. It's very different from Taiwan. So, um, But I, I do get the point about, like, sort of local versus bigger as well. Well, yeah. so, like, even, like, Ren Holmes, I mean, he looked, yeah. his comics look like Vancouver in the well, 70s. Well, there's Vancouver in the 70s. Yeah, like, that's... <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's it, right? They were yeah. they were even more specific because he was specifically making fun of the mayor here and specific police officers mm-hmm. here, like by name, like mm-hmm. he was mocking them. <laughs> a, a lot, a lot of the queer comics that I ran across tended yeah. to be specifically about San Francisco or yeah. or New York, because a lot of this stuff was coming out of those those two locales. And you see a lot of very yeah. specific stuff about Castro, the Castro neighborhood, and the Chelsea neighborhood. I think part of that too is just because it's the comics themselves are about your lived experience, and that's where your lived experience is happening when right. you're creating it, right? So right. exactly, yeah. And a focal point of community. I mean, you know, the, mm. the reality is that that's, you know, where gay culture was kind of being developed. It was mm. in these kind of urban centers, you know, sprinkled throughout. Uh, Coastal uh, cities where all the soldiers came back from the war. <laughs> all the sailors. <laughs> yeah. Rosie of the Riveters were yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> having a good time with each other. Yeah. <laughs> good times, good times. No, we're going to do a, a quick song break. Uh, I think we're going to listen to, was it Dolatoria? Uh, Dolatora? Dolorata? Dolorata. Okay. Man, I am just no good today. (laughs) Um, And then for the next couple seconds, these guys are going to make fun of me for everything I've gotten wrong. (laughs) No, we wouldn't. No, that would be wrong. (laughs) All right. Come on. It's been a while since I've been on MySpace. How does this thing work? (laughs) 
And we're back. Inkstead, C-I-T-R. MySpace. (laughs) That was, by the way, Dolorada. It was like a a dyke rock band from San Francisco. Love them. They're amazing. FYI. (laughs) That's my plug. We're trying to stay uh, themed here today on the studs. Um, One thing I was kind of spieling about these guys earlier um, is I'm not doing this because it's Pride Weekend. I'm doing this because you're in town. But then you correct me, like, well, it's important. Yeah, what you say what you're, you said to me, which was really well spoken. Uh, I have no idea if I, <laughs> if I said that coherently or not, or not before. But I know it's important to celebrate, to, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's pride. It's, we should be celebrating queerness and all of its wonderful guises and, um, and artistic expressions. And um, it's absolutely appropriate to have an uh, Ink Studs show. Um, we, by the pride. way, the Ink Studs is a really gay name. I just got to say, it's, it's, it is pretty gay. It's kind of gay. <laughs> uh, and I, I will say that my, my boyfriend, I think I mentioned this to you before, that my boyfriend was a little bit uh, annoyed because he's heavily tattooed. He's completely covered in tattoos. And, and so he's usually used to being thought of as the ink stud. And he was like, what? You get to, what? You get to be an ink stud? What, what's that? So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I am appropriating it from Dan Klaus, mm. who got it from someone else. Um, it was in an issue of 8-Ball. Okay. Where, right. uh, you know, like... I figured there had to be a pedigree to it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go high. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, and I'm working on finding out where the name came from. And yeah. I will definitely acknowledge the uh, homoerotic connotations okay. to the name. <laughs> and uh, just a reminder, folks, I'm joined by Justin Hall and Ken Bosom. And we're talking about Justin's new book, No Straight Lines, um, Four Decades of Queer Comics. Um, why don't we talk about four decades? Um, what is it important, like about early 1970s that we're seeing this work come out then? Um, and there's not, there is some work predating that, but yeah, very little minuscule. Yeah. um, Making hand gestures in the radio. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting it. Um, I, I mean, 
it, it's kind of an interesting, I don't know, twist of fate or whatever that that kind of queer, uh, the modern queer rights movement um, essentially mirrors kind of kind of modern uh, kind of modern developments of, of comics. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in 1969 is the Stonewall riots. Um, at the same, you know, around the same time, Zap Comics number one comes uh, number one comes out in San Francisco. Um, so same lo- location that these movements are happening in the same time period, um, and so the, and they have this kind of interesting parallel uh, for the next four decades, where uh, queer visibility and queer rights become more and more. You know, accepted more and more mainstream, and they go through these different permutations. Uh, or, you know, uh, as comics are doing the same thing. Um, you know, but they're but they're both kind of it's a marginalized community using a marginalized art form, which is so. I, I start the um, the the essay in the book out with this quote from Jerry Mills, who was a um, who did uh, the the strip Poppers, which is this wonderful, wonderful uh, gay. And comic. what are Poppers? <laughs> Poppers are a magic gay elixir. <laughs> I think that's good. You can I, think, I think that's good. Or, or, they, or a tape cleaner. Yes. Yeah, so um, uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was the New York Times, did this like guide for straight people for gay pride. Oh, and and one of the tips was, if anybody comes and rubs a small bottle, brown bottle under your nose, do not under any circumstances inhale. This is a magical gay elixir. It's called Poppers. It is only for us. It is not for you. <laughs> that's kind of unfair. What about I think it's unfair, the, too. All the straight men who want to get pegged and all the... No, that's true. I mean, you know, it should, it's anyway. true. It, they give me a headache. And there are more and more of those. Myself. There are more and more of those. <laughs> it's true. And I, they just gave me a headache, so I don't, I'm, I'm no, staying away from them. Yeah. But, but um, all right, so, so the but journey... the strip. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, mind you, the, the strip, uh, not only was it named Poppers, but it also had a kind of running um, a short piece underneath it, like ran underneath the, the page that was um, the adventures of the crab that, you know, the crabs that live in his, in his crotch. In his crotch, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this was, it was definitely, it was, but it's yeah. beautiful. It's, anyway... Uh, so it says, comics and gays, they go together well. After all, they have one major thing in common. Both tend to not get any respect. So, you know, I think that's there was this sense uh, uh, by these early queer cartoonists that we're a marginalized community using a disrespected art form to kind of say, you know, talk about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Looking at the work that came out, um, talk about the underground section mm-hmm. and then the the 80s mm. um, and you start out with the and I'm totally going to mispronounce his name the David Wojnarowicz uh, uh, yeah. thank you <laughs> you can just say it for me um, and, that, and that that spread um, about being infected with HIV and it, it's it's kind of like you kind of have like all this like crazy stuff coming from different directions and you get to this point and it's almost like a punch to the gut yeah that's what it's supposed to be yeah yeah I mean very deliberately and um, I mean, the, the, bo- the book was published actually by, by DC, which is shocking, um, mm-hmm. uh, and is very much out of print. Uh, um, Fanographics is republishing it. Fanographics is republishing yeah. it. So, yeah, I'm very excited about that. It's a beautiful piece of work. Um, uh, it was illustrated by James Romberger and uh, Margaret Van Cook. And um, uh, it was published posthumously after David had already died. Um, and from his... Uh, I mean, he, he wrote a book called Seven Miles a Second, um, which is... Amazing. I mean, he's primarily known as a visual artist. I mean, as a fine artist, um, but he's he also wrote this memoir about essentially dying of AIDS and um, adapted into a comic book form, and it was which was eventually published after his death. And it, it's 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 you know it's it brings you back to that that time period of you know people were dying and there was no recourse and there was no no one really you know and, and the the backlash was so horrendous you know that people kind of you know the the mm-hmm. the, the, the 
you know, the, the dominant culture was just letting people die. I mean, essentially, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of almost remember that. Um, so I, want, I wanted the beginning of that section to be a punch in the gut. I wanted people yeah. to remember the rage and the fear and the anger and, the, and all that. Um, that was one of the things at the beginning with the, the book Seizures of Little Sisters uh, bookstore as well, is that uh, a lot of the stuff that was being seized was gay magazines, and that was where most of the safer sex info was coming from in the early years. So that if it came into the country would arrive with that section completely blacked out because you couldn't make any reference to anal sex because that meant it might happen or somebody was doing it and that was illegal and wrong and that couldn't happen oh um, and so they literally would have to get on the phone to somebody in the states and say can you turn to page like 13 can you read to us where it says safer sex guidelines can you read to that so we can copy it down and photocopy it and spread it that is like it's just insane it's just incredibly <laughs> disturbing um, what, uh, you mentioned the, the, the gay newspapers and, and, mm-hmm. and um, uh, magazines, and I should go back to what one thing you, you asked before, Robin, about um, why was this moment in time. The um, after Stonewall, there was an explosion of kind of queer liter- of queer magazines and newspapers and periodicals. So, like the Advocate started in 1967 as a as a community newsletter and became a, a actual magazine. I think in 69 or 70. Um, yeah, and, it, and and it's the longest running. Um, but there, you know, there was this explosion of gay newspapers and, and local papers and stuff. Um, and they all they they wanted comics. So that that was really kind of drove the initial. Um, boom of, of queer comics, um, and then you know another current came in later with which was the kind of lesbian um, uh, fem- feminist underground comics with an X, you know, coming from that. From well, which that also I think was kind current. of an outgrowth of that because kind of what happened was the movement sort of started the the sort of voices of the movement, whether they were paper or radio or whatever, sort of took place. And then as, as in most movements, a lot of the women within a movement started feeling they were being disenfranchised, they were being asked to make the coffee, they were being asked to sort of plan the meetings but not really do any mm-hmm. of the work or be involved. And then they sort of said, well, we're going to take our bus and go over here then. And then that led to a whole bunch of like women's publications and women's magazines. Mm-hmm. So like um, like Kinesis here was right. like a feminist magazine, but they had like a lesbian comic strip or that kind of thing. Right, so. right. It was also... Um, um, I, I put in uh, Trina Robbins, um, uh, Sandy Comes Out, which I, in, in, a, in a lot of ways kind of, st- I, I feel this really kind of started a lot of literary queer comics because mm-hmm. it was the first comic about a queer person that was not derogatory and not a gag strip and not erotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it's actually a funny story. It was, um, so Trina herself is straight, but she, um, um, at the time in 69, uh, Sandy Crum, who was Robert Crum's sister, comes into uh, uh, San Francisco, moves to San Francisco, divorces her husband um, and moves to San Francisco with her baby and moves in with Robert and his wife at the time. And uh, Robert's, you know, kind of wants to pass her off to his, you know, his cartoonist buddies. And Trina hears about, and she's not happy about that. Trina hears about it, comes swooping in and says, why don't you come and live with me? You know, I need a roommate. So they become friends. And then um, uh, sometime later, Sandy comes out as a lesbian um, and moves into a gay hippie commune in San Francisco. Um, and so Trina does a story about it for Women's Comics Number 1 called Sandy Comes Out. It's a three-page um, uh, comic. And, you know, Sandy actually kind of co-wrote part of it, um, but it's the first story about a lesbian, essentially, that's kind of told in a literary fashion, you know. Um, and But it's done by a straight woman. So in these days of kind of early identity politics, that was not necessarily so cool. So uh, Mary Wings... And Roberta Gregory also, but Mary Wings did um, reacted first. She sees this and says, "Okay, well, a lesbian needs to tell the story of coming out, you know, and, and go into the emotional mm-hmm. side and the spiritual side of it." So she creates um, Come Out Comics in 1970. 
three uh, in the <laughs> folding and staple, uh, stapling it in the in the basement of a radical women's karate cooperative in, in Oregon <laughs> and um, and sells it as a mail order um, uh, for for a dollar a piece. So um, so yeah. So the you know the women's the the early lesbian comics were not only coming from. Uh, 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 and then you know those early those early lesbian comics were then started to kind of move into the kind of women's comics collectives and tits and clits and these other. Um, so um, the, the lesbian comics in particular have a history of, of tr- having to carve out their territory not only among uh, you know uh, from gay men but also mm-hmm. from from straight women. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons, for example, later on there's the uh, Dyke Strippers is a is a collection in the '90s by um, by Roz Warren that collects the you know this huge collection of of lesbian comics. It's mm-hmm. really quite amazing, and it was really created in response to um, Twisted Sisters, which was Diane Newman's book um, that collected all these kind of. Uh, um, early women's comics and feminist comics, and didn't include any lesbian any comics. Lesbian comics yeah. So, so there, you know, so lesbian comics kind of get pushed from both sides. But I, I, I will say that in the '90s, in particular, there was this, it, there was this really amazing scene of, of lesbian comics, and it was a, really kind of the golden age of, of lesbian comics. And, um, and, and I think probably the best, you know, material being done in, in queer cartooning was was in that scene. So. You know, lesbians get put pushed into a corner and they come out with the best shit. So it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> also, want to kind of make acknowledgement of um, a couple other things that have come out recently, um, other gay anthologies, because it's interesting. Like we've got this kind of historical narrative, um, and then we also have uh, Gay Genius that Annie Murphy put together, and it's really interesting to see kind of this. I don't know what the term I want to use for, but really like a lot of different. Uh, work kind of reflecting these different aspects of the community and it's interesting because they are very different work yeah, I mean yeah. gay genius completely different from this I mean completely it's contemporary <laughs> it's dirty mm-hmm. it's very art house based mm-hmm. um, you know it's very activist based mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the other one then. It's, it's it's also very trans oriented it's very, very kind of, yeah. it's mm-hmm. very it's very gender queer it's very kind of against um, gender binaries which is stuff that kind of happens later Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there, there's some there's some moments of trans comics that happen earlier, but really, it's not until the the until the early two thousands that you start seeing really, you know, uh, out trans comics. Um, mm-hmm. And then by you know, I think by now, you know, with with Annie Murphy putting out that book, it's not only is it uh, has a lot of trans creators, but really kind of focusing on the kind of blurring of gender boundaries and 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 in a really. Uh, modern contemporary way, and it's very—you're it, right—it has a very different flavor, both artistically and thematically, from from the earlier work. And it's it's also interesting, like looking at trans creators specifically. Um, I mean, it's a lot—I don't want to say easier now, but I mean, there's more visibility for trans creators. There's a lot more work coming out, and I think there's a really challenge because of stigma in the past. Um, like folks like uh, Catherine Jones, formerly Jeffrey Jones, who. Um, really like you can kind of see just how this kind of marginalization went towards just a loss of health and a loss of work Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah sure and and there's still tremendous obstacles i mean you know if anyone gets you know uh you know gets oppression it's you know i mean there's no question so and i and think in a lot of ways you know trans creators now are kind of doing what um, what the kind of early lesbian creators were doing in the 70s what you know mary wings had never heard the word lesbian until she was 19 Right. So, and then uh-huh. she and then she sees this comic. Uh, oh, Sandy comes out, 
you know, and she, she realized that she was a lesbian as, as soon as she heard the term. And then she's, you know, she and she comes into this identity, sees this comic produced by Trina Robinson, decides, I'm going to do my own lesbian comic. Boom. I'm going to make sure that other young women never have to go through what I went through. And, and they know who they are. They can see it. They have a guide. Um, and I think, you know, people like maybe Christine Smith, for example, now who's doing The Princess. It's an all ages trans comic about or it's a comic about a, a young trans girl. And she's basically showing, you know, portraying, uh, you know, this trans girl in this kind of non-pathological way for other trans children to kind of see see this and say, oh, there is someone okay. like me it's out normal. there. Yeah. yeah, and it's not pathological. It's you know, yeah. So she's kind of doing what Mary Wings did back in the 70s. So there, there's, you know, trans creators have a, uh, it's been a wonderful explosion, but there's, a, you know, they have a, it's a big fight. And I think some of that explosion too has happened um just because of technology and the internet, like it, yeah. like before we had gay magazines, we would mail order stuff to each other. Like yeah. we would mimeograph dirty comics, or we would mimeograph like a cartoon that we thought was funny and gay, and we would send it to our friends secretly. And then we got newspapers, and magazines, so we could pick it up and look at it, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we had more access. More people could access that than they could access your mailbox. Yeah. But now everybody can go and look at your website or like yeah. check out your your web comic or whatever, right? So. Yeah. So so I mean, Mary Wings doing that kind of comics and and doing it mail order out of this you know basement yeah. of a karate cooperative is really different that I mean she's going to re- reach a far far fewer people mm-hmm. than Christine Smith who's doing a webcomic exactly. um, it's just because of the technology that's right I totally realize I'm such a bad host today I gotta mention the, one of the reasons Justin's in town is tonight you're going to be at Lucky's Comics I will indeed at between 23rd and 24th in Maine mm-hmm. uh, Maine and 24th um, from 6 o'clock to about 8 o'clock yep um, doing a signing uh, book launch for no straight lines. You bet. Um, I love Lucky's comics. You should too. And uh, make sure you go out there tonight before all the Pride Weekend madness begins. I might even sing for you if you come. Wouldn't sing for us, but you'll <laughs> no, sing for no, them. No, no. No, I sing in private. <laughs> when, when it's not recorded. <laughs> you never know what I may sneak in. It's true. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Cameras are everywhere. Cameras. <laughs> There is actually one up there. You see, see that, guys? There you go. See? <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping a watch on us. Um, a reminder, it is Justin Hall and Ken Bosom I'm talking to about the anthology No Straight Lines for Decades of Queer Comics. Um... We're talking a bit about the kind of work that's coming out now, and one the there's a couple of creators um, that really stick out to me in this book, um, continuing on the, actually, the trans mm-hmm. topic. Um, the first is Joey Allison Sayers, and uh, her springtime one-page strip is um, amazing. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's one of my favorite one-page comics ever made. It's phenomenal, and I knew I wanted to start off the section with that. You know, it needed to bam start in the same way that the the previous section was the punch in the gut about AIDS and the, the horror of this plague. You know, that the last section I wanted to be hopeful. I wanted to be this emergence of a new identity. I wanted to be this remarkable, wonderful strip that's wordless and just beautiful. Yeah. Um, Joey's amazing. Do you want to tell folks a little bit about this? Oh, I, yeah. So it's a uh, how many how many panels? It's like let me see here. Flip two eight or something. That's a standard grid. Let's see here. Um, okay, so it's um, it's called Springtime. <clears throat> it was in 2008, and it's just a, a six-panel grid, very simple, and it's just her kind of looking forward at the um, at the camera, and her breasts are slowly growing. And at the the bottom one, she looks down, she sees her bre- breasts have grown, and she go- and she simply goes, "Yay!" <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh my god, it's it's brilliant. <laughs> 
And the other uh, person who uh, is one of the creators I'm most excited about right now is uh, Edie Fake. Yeah. Um, and I actually I've read the the part of the stuff that you had here, but the other thing I hadn't read. Um, I read the stuff with the uh, the food <laughs> and the other strip, which is like about um, his anxiety around gender and stuff. And I think he he's one of those creators which I really want to highlight right now, which is who's creating some of the most artistically forward mm-hmm. um, personal works out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gaylord Phoenix is amazing from Secret Acres, mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as the new Thickness Anthology, which mm-hmm. we were talking a little bit about before the uh, mm-hmm. during the music break, um, yeah. which the third one has has Edie in it, and, uh, and I can't get his name right. The Gegor Otagame. Who, who I will say, we, we were just talking about this, uh, I will plug that uh, Chip Kidd is going to be doing a, uh, a designing and producing a book uh, with Picture Box uh, of both of Gengo Otagame and also of Bada, which is, Bada is the gay, um, Japanese gay male comics made by gay men for gay men, as opposed to Yaoi, which are made by women for female audience. Um, and it's a very underground comics culture in Japan uh, mm-hmm. and has never been translated into English before. So this is, um, this is a big deal. I'm very excited about that, but th- but thickness actually did it first in this brief little story. Thank you, Ryan Sands. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out, thickness dot me. <laughs> no, but, but but yeah, I mean, Edie's amazing, and um, I, I you know, I'm looking really looking forward to how he kind of, kind of continues forward with di- different explorations and um, of identity, and uh, and and it's it's a very contemporary take on it. I mean, I think it is has a different flavor from the the early stuff in this book, uh, from the stuff being done in the 70s and 80s. It's yeah, I mean, it's it's like I said, very kind of artistically mm-hmm. advanced in mm-hmm. way, especially mm-hmm. just like with that eye and it's tricky I mean just speaking as an editor it's, it's tricky to kind of take stuff like that and and figure out a way to excerpt it I mean there's a mm-hmm. lot of people in here that I was not able to put in that I would that I really would love to have in the book but it just their work doesn't necessarily excerpt well um, so especially a lot of the, the kind of art house stuff it doesn't necessarily excerpt well the um, longer longer form narratives um, you know graphic novels I try to stay away from unsatisfying excerpts basically and that really you know left out a lot of really fantastic material I think it's also um, you one thing which is really nice that you do with this is that there's nothing obvious like you don't have an excerpt say from uh, Fun Home from Fun Home or Howard Cruz's Stuck Rubber Baby. Stuck yeah. Rubber, yeah. You know, like, something as me, as someone who's read a lot of comics, mm. too many comics, some might say. <laughs> and we wouldn't say that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, but it's a lot of new work, mm. you know, for so, me so, as, so, as a reader. So you hadn't, I, I'm actually interested in hearing from both of you guys. Had you seen most of the work? I mean, how much of the work had you already seen that was in, the, in this book? Not a lot. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. The the new yeah. some of the newer stuff, like I know Erica Moan stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, like even that that one Edie fake story. Mm-hmm, I don't know mm-hmm. the other stuff I have in a mini. Yeah. Um, but it's also like kind of telling of where my stuff is at, where I'm not necessarily reading gay comics. Right. And I think that's, I actually found I recognize more of the older stuff. Yeah. See, I, I, I would because yeah. I mean, you actually have an interest in that kind of history yeah. and that kind of material. And, and I think there is a shift where um, what's happening now is that queer narratives and comics are being kind of now dovetailing into um, kind of uh, independent and underground mm-hmm. materials of, of all kinds, mm-hmm. um, which is wonderful. Um, but the, the the earlier stuff was really in, a, in its own bubble. I mean, that's one of the mm-hmm. things that was, I think really important about this collection is that 
um, I'm trying to spotlight a really, really marginalized uh, uh, art, artistic scene. I mean, it was a marginalized art form and then marginalized within that, where most of the stuff never showed up in comic book stores. They were mostly, you know, were published by gay publishers, serialized in, in gay newspapers, and sold in gay bookstores. Or like I said before that, you were like mail ordering photos ma- right, of something. Exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. like mimeograph, crank, 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 yeah, crank. Like yeah. old copies of stuff. Exactly. Like, yeah. And some of the, the queer punk scenes, you know, where you yeah. just, you know. So this stuff never really even made it into the rest of the comic book world. So, and some of it was, I mean, a lot well, of Well, even Alison Bechtel never went to a comic con until she did Fun Home. Was, After how many years of doing Dykes Watch Out for, yes. which is like the peanuts of yes. gay comic strips. Yes. yes. <laughs> so she, she actually came to Ape uh, in 2004, I believe. And it was the first year I did uh, the, the queer comics panel. I've been running a queer comics panel mm-hmm. um, uh, there every year. Um, and she came that year, and it was the um, and you know she walks in, and here's one of the most accomplished cartoonists in the world, and and she had never been to a comic book con- convention before ever. Wow! And it was just, I mean, just this shocking kind of you realize how disconnected the co- queer comics world. Well, was I even find it weird. It. Like when I when I have a table at a con, I find it weird because you'll. I don't know how to describe it exactly. Even it's like this weird sort of like subtextual conversation that's going on where you'll mm-hmm. see people come up to the table and they'll want to connect and they think that, you know, there should be a connection because there's this comic thing in common. But then if there's any sort of rainbow thing on the table or like mm-hmm. anything that makes it overt that I'm gay, then you can see in their eye, they're like, I mm-hmm. sort of want to like you and connect, but mm-hmm. I feel kind of weird about that. So I feel like I should stand back here. So I'm mm-hmm. not accused mm-hmm. of being liked yeah. by being near yeah. you, but I also kind of want to know, but I <laughs> like, you know, it's sort of a weird thing. It's like we should connect because we're geeks and we yeah. have that in common. But then this other thing keeps us apart. Well, the, the, it's I, I think it's a it's a particular dilemma of the modern, uh, of the contemporary queer cartoonist, right? Like, how do you decide to assimilate and, and try to you know uh, stake out a stand in the in the in the kind of larger comics world, or do you try to find your niche? And I, I think of uh, in, in particular, there's two creators that um, kind of exemplify that to me in the book. One is uh, John Macy, who again did this Telony Camille mm-hmm. adaptation which is just beautiful and extraordinary and it's about queer history and it's about gay sex and it's about, you know, um, and he basically says, you know, unless you have, you know, overt sex in your comics, then you're, then you're betraying your gay identity because you're, you're somehow ashamed of it if you're not going to have that, you know, so he's very much about speaking to other gay men and kind of, you know, creating queer identity and culture through, through comics. Um, then you also have someone like Ed Luce who's doing kind of queer bear comics, but he doesn't ever call them bears, doesn't ever mm-hmm. kind of, they're, they're absolutely meant to um, be accessible by everyone. And they're they, hilarious. And they're hilarious. And they yeah. are accessible by, like, you know, straight people and, you know, women and, like, I mean, everyone mm-hmm. loves Waffle Loaf, you know. So it's, he's, he's going for a completely different, you know, attempt. And it's, it's interesting because he actually, before he was a cartoonist, he was a fine art. Uh, painter, and he actually did all erotic stuff about like cruising parks and stuff like this. So, which is really funny because his his reputation now is this is kind of like you know, like, sweet, yeah, sweet, jovial, like PG thirteen, yeah. like kind of guy. And you know, he actually his actual artistic background background is not that, but he decided when he came into comics to that he was going to make comics that were going to be queer but accessible, and that is possible. This is the first time that that's possible. In the in the past, his work would have been absolutely marginalized, and now. It's we'll see. You know, it's it's just opening up now, mm-hmm. and it's same with the ED fake. You know, it's it's just possible now for him to branch out. Just a reminder, folks. I'm talking to Justin Hall in Kim Bosom, and Justin will be at Lucky's Comics tonight from six o'clock to eight o'clock at Maine in twenty fourth. Um, we're just nearing the end of the hour. We've got about four minutes left. 
Um, for folks outside of Vancouver, what are some other things you've got going on in the near future as far as book events? Uh, going down to do a little uh, Northwest thing, going down to Seattle and um, to Portland. I'll be in Portland uh, doing an event at um, uh, Floating World Comics on Thursday... The 9th. The 9th, thank you. <laughs> uh, Thursday the 9th um, from 6 to 8. Uh, and I'll be joined by Robert Tripto, who was the, um, uh, one of the editors of Gay Comics uh, Anthology, Erica Moen, who did the Dar um, webcomic, and uh, Von Frick, who's a really amazing uh, early uh, queer cartoonist who did some great work. Um, and we'll, we'll be doing readings and signings there. That'll, that'll be fun. And then I'll, I'll be up um, uh, signing with Fantagraphics during Geek Girl Con at, um, at, uh, in Seattle. So we're excited about that. <laughs> Very nice. So, yeah. Well, thank you both for taking the time to come in mm-hmm. here. Thank you for doing this. And uh, thank you for having a an official pride version uh, <laughs> of, of Instance <laughs> and celebrating. It'll be uh, rainbow good. stamped. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but, but, but not inaccessible. There we go. And uh, reminder, folks, the book is No Straight Lines. And um, for CanCon, it has a beautiful cover by the always charming Maurice Villacoup. I was actually impressed with your CanCon. There's actually four or five people in there that are Canadian. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, there's uh, Steve McIsaac. And Steve McIsaac. Um, well, he's lived here and he dated somebody here. I think he lived here at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and Le- Leanne Franson. Leanne Franson. Um, but no Rand Holmes. Yeah. No, well, there's tiny. I know. I was worried about the Rand Holmes when I was looking at the preview yeah. online. I'm like, where's Rand Holmes? <laughs> there's like a tiny one in the, in the front <laughs> there, though. So that's okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's tricky because that Harold Head thing is so amazing. But it, it is pretty erotic. I that is say. pretty It's erotic. actually pretty much pretty the definition of erotic. Obviously. And you can get it in another phonographics book. Yes, you can. Uh, that's true. That's true. Right. Yeah. There we go. I, I, I do without um, black boxes, as it was originally published in the street. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't gonna. They weren't gonna run the street unless they put the black boxes on. Oh dear. Okay, now I'm gonna try this again. We're gonna play music, and hopefully it works. <laughs> Have I got this right? Have I got this right? All right. I'm gonna play some hidden cameras. Yeah. There we go. Thanks, there guys. You go. Thank you. <laughs> Be happy. 